Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Show Me How Good It Gets. I'm your host, Malvika. Hello, 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 everyone. Thank you for clicking play on this episode. I am so stoked about this one, and it means so much to me that you choose to spend your precious, precious time with me in your ears. And today, it's not just going to be me. It's going to be me and two of my nearest, dearest friends. But before I give you an introduction on them, I wanted to set the scene a little bit. Um, I grew up in California, the Bay Area to be exact, and I am a brown woman and they see American specifically. So my relationship with my identity has evolved a lot over the 22 years I've been alive. It was very different when I was little and I had no representation of girls that looked like me. It changed a lot when I made a lot of friends that looked like me. And then again, when I went off to college to a predominantly white institution. So when I kept getting this question of, you know, when are you gonna do this episode about being Desi, I kind of kept putting it off because I didn't know if I had the right answer of what it means to me to be Indian American. And I didn't know if I had an all-encompassing comprehensive narrative to tell. And while I'm still excited to eventually do a solo episode on that, if you guys are interested, I really wanted to bring on friends who had also experienced what it was like to grow up and be brown and feel different and crave representation and all of those things. So the first people I thought of were two of my friends, Sapna and Sonia, who have their own podcast called Loudmouth Ludkies. And you might know them as these two outspoken, beautiful, brilliant women on their own podcast, but I know them as my friends who are warm and kind and genuine and who are people I turn to when I feel nervous or want to be inspired. And I just think they're the perfect people to have this conversation with. So I'm so lucky they decided to join me today. I asked a week ago on the Show Me How Good It Gets Instagram what you guys wanted to hear us talk about because I want this episode to really be catered to a broader audience than just me and people like me. So we talk about everything from family dynamics to Daisy child guilt to how our relationship with being Daisy has evolved as we've grown up and gone to college and started to form our own identities outside of our families. And we also talk about Daisy beauty and hair removal and all of those kinds of um, wormhole topics. And then I'm going to make this a two-part series because we had a very long conversation. So the next episode is going to cover dating as a brown woman, therapy as a South Asian woman, and what we want our futures to look like in terms of our identities. And yeah, I'm really excited about these two episodes. I hope you guys have some sort of learning from it or derive some kind of value from it because I sure did. And I think you will like these two women just as much as I do. So without further ado, this is Sonia and Sapna from Loudmouth Ledkeys. Enjoy. I'm Sonia. I'm one of the co-hosts of Loudmouth Ledkeys. Um, I grew up in the Bay as we all did, but I went to undergrad in Philly at Drexel University where I studied psychology and criminal justice. Um, I work in mental health and tech. Um, I've been doing that for two years now. 
And I'm starting my PhD in the fall in clinical psychology at UMass Boston. Um, I'm a dancer. I was a Bhangra dancer at Drexel. And I love all things um, like South Asian intersection, seeing strong South Asian women take ownership of their identity. Um, and of course, love, love, love mall and everything she does. Her TikToks make me so happy. They've been getting me through this pandemic. I love you. I, we're smiling so big, which I feel like you can't hear through the microphones, which sucks. But I'm so <laughs> excited for you to get your PhD and for all of us to be doctors together. That's going to be so batty of us. We need to do another episode when the three of us get our, our doctorates. Yeah. Like when we're all doctors. Yeah, in our geriatric age by the time that comes around. <laughs> uh, geriatric. <laughs> Correct. Um, I can introduce myself. Um, so my name's Sapna. I am 22 years old. I also grew up in the Bay Area. Um, I went to I went to high school with Mank, which is what I call Mall. <laughs> um, and I um, went to UCLA for undergrad. I studied human bio and society with a concentration in public policy and bioethics. Um, super interested in accessibility to healthcare, to medications. I'm really into advocacy and activism work. Um, and currently I work as a research assistant where I do neuroimaging research with little kids. So it's very fun. Um, also currently applying to medical school. So yeah, we're, we're all going to be doctors one day, which is super exciting. I, one thing you said that reminded me of something else I wanted to talk about was um, how all of, we're all going to be doctors and that's like super cool and I'm so excited for us, but I feel like there's just some joy in seeing really multifaceted women do, do their thing, be it their careers or things they're passionate about. And I think there's so much, at least like pressure that I feel, and maybe it's made up and in my head of being like good representation on the internet. Like I feel like I have to be good South Asian representation, but something that's really magical is just seeing they see women do well and succeed mm -hmm. and just be people who are, you know, have their struggles and have their joys and have their sorrows and just like be people. That to me is the most incredible representation, even if they're not constantly talking about their South Asian experiences, just seeing you guys accomplish things and flourish makes me so happy and makes me prouder to be Desi. Um, but I wanted to hear about, I think I know your family dynamics pretty well, but what is it like? What is it like growing up Desi and how has that changed over time? Because I know for me, I felt a lot more Indian when I lived at home with my parents and I was listening to the same music and watching the same movies and speaking Hindi and then going to college fully changed my relationship with myself and my identity. So what was that like for both of you? That's so interesting that you said that because I think for me, it was the opposite. I think for me growing up, so I'm Punjabi. I was born in India. I immigrated when I was very, very young um, and I grew up with my parents, but Punjabi was my first language. And so growing up, I like, like you said, like listened to the same music. I talked in Punjabi at home, but when I went to school, that's when I felt like I had to kind of shy away from being Desi, which was interesting because we grew up in a very Asian American dominated community. Um, but in elementary school, I think like for me, it wasn't as Desi dominated. And so there was like a, it was properly diverse. And so I didn't really have anybody else who was Punjabi who I got along with at school. 
um, that I could talk to about watching Bollywood movies other than my best friend. And at some point it started getting like, oh, that's weird that you like like this so much. Um, not if it was if it wasn't said explicitly, it was just kind of implied. And then it wasn't until I got to high school where I was around more Desi people that I was, you know, like, oh, wow, like there are other kids my age who like dancing, who like to sing, um, who like being part of this community. But it still wasn't really me exploring my identity as a South Asian woman. It was just like, cool, I'm part of these things. And it wasn't until I moved to college in Philadelphia where I, I think being away from home made me want more of my roots. I think being on the Barna team and seeing how I didn't completely identify with a lot of the Punjabi experiences that my like teammates had, um, but also not identifying with experiences that other South Asian people had um, that I was friends with growing up made me want to seek more to make me feel connected. And so I started consuming a lot of South Asian art. And that is how I kind of came into my own a little bit more of who am I in regards to my identity as a Punjabi woman, um, as someone who is South Asian. And it's been interesting to see how taking that and then coming home and interacting with my mom um, is different because I think we see our identities very differently. Also, like she moved <clears throat> as like a 20 something year old to the United States. I moved when I was like three months. So for her being she's not in she's not Indian American. She's Indian. Right. For me, it's I'm Indian American or I'm Punjabi American. And um, it's been interesting to see how much me attaching myself to how I understand my identity um, is how how different that is from the people around me and also even my family, not in a good or bad way, just like it's different. Yeah, I and the reason why I like our podcast and like doing this thing with you, Sonia, is that we have such different experiences um, because even just the question of my relationship with being Desi and my relationship with my culture, it's always a hard question to answer because I don't know how to parse out being Desi with being Indian American, just personally based on my experiences. And I've grappled a lot with this in the past year, um, given that at UCLA, I have a lot of Indian American friends or a lot of South Asian American friends. Um, but I also have a lot of friends who are of the South Asian diaspora who grew up in other countries. And so for me, I've been seeing how being Desi is so different than being Desi American also. And so it, for me, it's kind of hard to parse out my relationship with um, be, feeling more Desi, more or less Desi at different parts of my life. And um, I don't know, like, is it my relationship with my religion, which I feel like is tied to being South Asian American sometimes? Is it my relationship to the food, the culture, the clothes, the politics? Like, I think at different stages of my life, I've grappled with different aspects of being Desi. That being said, um, 
I feel like my relationship with my culture is a little different from Sonia's um, because my parents immigrated here um, and I was born here one, which I guess is a little different though you moved it three months. Um, I was born here and my parents were here for a bit um, before I was born. Um, but like Sonia said, elementary school, middle school, high school, and college also um, was very saturated with South Asian American communities. So I was never extremely cognizant of my culture um, in a way that is both a privilege and in a way that's also kind of odd because I think that's why it's hard for me to identify what parts of my identity are connected to being Desi versus what parts of my identity are just there because I've grown up with a lot of other Desi people. Um, so that's something that I've grappled with. Um, and then also like at home, I, my parents speak Kannada, but I am not very fluent. I can understand, but I can't speak that well. Um, so I think that has also reframed my identity with my culture. Um, even just in the last, knowing that with the pandemic, I haven't been to India since 2018. Um, so little moments like that, I think, make me feel like I've distanced myself from the culture as I've grown older. Um, but yeah. Well, I just want to add that I don't think like they're neat. I don't know if necessarily we need to know what parts of us are they see, right? Like I, I, I understand why they're, it can feel like that. Um, especially when we're create, when we're all creating content, right. In whatever form that we are, um, there almost feels like a pressure to really centralize our Desi identity when making that content almost as a way to kind of nicheify it. But I think part of being in any diaspora is that that means that we're all going to have different experiences and that our relationship to our cultural identity differs from person to person, which is something I've learned over the past how many ever years since we've been doing this podcast of like, we're all Desi American or we're all Desi, however we choose to identify um, culturally, but the way that I experience my Desi identity is not going to dictate how someone else experiences their Desi identity. Something that I've had to learn a lot and internalize a lot with identity is that it's an I thing. Like your identity is very internal and it's very like unique to you. It can be molded by the people around you. But I do think that your own cultural identity is pertinent to how you experience it and what you choose to shape it as, as opposed to like what other people expect from you. Absolutely. And I, I think that can be a journey in and of itself too. I recently posted a TikTok with my roommates of like this photo shoot we did and none of my roommates are Desi. Um, and I got some like pretty nasty comments that were like, you're so whitewashed and why don't you hang out with more people of color? And I was up and I talked about this and I was like, I, I do. You got you people don't see it because I'm not posting all my social interactions. And and even if I didn't, I don't think that has anything to do with me being shameful of my identity at all. And it's it's such a weird line to tell on the internet of being a South Asian creator because I think you're held to a different standard. Um, and you have to 
only talk about South Asian brands and, you know, things like that, which can be really difficult to navigate. And I'm trying to let go of that and be like, well, the beauty of this is I'm, I'm just a person and I have all these different parts of me that, you know, I'm a part of. No, Mink, that's a really good point. When you talk about representation and not doing it right, there's always going to be that feeling. Um, I know Sonia and I, when, uh, like early pandemic, uh, when right after George George Floyd got murdered and everyone was talking about BLM, um, we made a guide that was um, for geared towards South Asian Americans um, and saying like, okay, this is how you can talk to your family about BLM. And um, for the most part, it was pretty positive responses and people were excited to share it with their families and get the word out there and all of that. But there were so many comments of like, oh, well, why aren't you talking about X, Y, Z issue? Um, and, and we get that broader in our podcast, too, because there are some topics we haven't talked about that we wanted to and that we just don't feel equipped to talk about. Or um, there's always more you can talk about in general. And there's some topics we resonate with more or can speak to more. And so there is always this feeling of even if you're trying your best representation wise and trying to shed light on all the topics that deserve that time and that effort and energy. Um, it's, it's always feeling that like you're not doing enough. And I feel like that is something as more South Asian American and South Asian diasporic creators uh, come around, it's going to be something to focus on is just like letting people explore their niches in different areas too. And I know, Mal, we've talked about this and I just called you Mal, even though I typically call you Mink. That's so funny. <laughs> but, um, but also just, can you be a South Asian American creator without talking about the fact that you're South Asian all the time? It's, it's hard. It's really hard to it feels Cross, like you can't. Yeah. And there's so yeah. much also, I don't want to be a person on the internet that's proving I'm a hot person, even though I'm brown. There's a lot of that. There's so <laughs> yeah. much like, look how ugly I was as a kid and yep. look at my glow up because I'm hot now. And I, I never want to lean into that. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just a person and I'm thriving and I'm, you know, I'm doing all these things and I just happen to be basic and really proud of it. But it feels like if you're not talking about how proud you are of it, then you're not proud of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can be really challenging. Yeah. Well, you brought up the like, I mean, the word representation has been brought up, right? And it's something that we've talked a lot about. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed on our podcast, but it's something that continues to be brought up in the diaspora because 
for and for a good reason at some points, right? Like a lot of it is we didn't grow up with people to watch or see or relate to um, for a majority of our lives. And now we're in a space where we do have that, right? It's limited, but we're, we're starting to get more. Um, we saw, you know, there are conversations about like never have I ever and now Miss Marvel and, you know, with TikTok being such a prominent space and people now having more access to these platforms, more and more South Asian content creators can exist. But this idea that like one person who looks like you needs to embody everything you experienced is the result of us not having any of that representation to begin with. And I think it's completely unfair for people to like place all of those expectations on singular creators or singular shows because it's the only one that exists. Right. And it should be more of a shift from, okay, Hey, like this doesn't embody what I experienced. Maybe this will empower me to like write about my own experience or, you know, help create something that explains what I experienced. Not every, it's just like a matter of um, scarcity, right? Like if there's only a few shows out there that are made and of South Asian people, the likelihood of them embodying everything you've experienced is incredibly low. And I think that same idea is being applied to TikTokers and like to content creators, which I just think is unfair. You guys are doing like, you're living your life and you should be able to live your life while acknowledging your identity in the way that it speaks to you and not because, you know, oh, I see all of these like South Asian creators doing this. I feel like I have to do it. Or like if you're not wearing a Lenga in every TikTok, you're not brown enough. Like, bro, why are you wearing Lengas every day anyway? Like, where are you going? Yeah, I think it's like such a cash 22 of an and I, I've kind of decided that I'm not going to escape it and that's fine because I'm just going to make videos about my real life and not try to put myself in all these different boxes. And I think niches are stupid anyway. Like no person is a niche. We're just all multifaceted people with a range of experiences and thoughts and feelings. And like, I'm okay with that. I'm completely okay with being more than one thing. And if we're talking about like representation and things like that, I want to bring the conversation to beauty and how your own relationship with the way you've looked has changed. Because I remember as a little kid, some of my most vivid experiences are looking at the hair on my arms and being like, how the hell do I get rid of this forever? I, I mean, so viscerally hating parts of my own body and, and they bleed into certain things It's in my day to day still. And I'm really trying to actively work against it. But how has that been for you guys? I know Sapna and I have had a lot of conversations about like facial hair and how it's been such a lifelong battle for us. Yeah, I can start a little bit um, because I was having a conversation about this with a friend recently at UCLA. So um, again, because we grew up in very South Asian spaces, um, there were certain aspects of beauty that I didn't really think of a lot. Like um, colorism, I think affects a lot of South Asian um, individuals in general. Uh, but I think personally it didn't for me from a young age, which is again, a huge, huge privilege. Um, I think just by virtue of having a lot of South Asians um, in my spaces that I was in, I think that helped a lot. 
Um, definitely agree to the body hair thing. Um, one, because middle school boys are, are <laughs> terrible. And um, two, I don't know. It's just, that's something that I um, thought about a lot. And recently I've been thinking about like the whole that girl aesthetic, the whole clean girl aesthetic, which often is very like no hair, like very <laughs> smooth, like all this sort of stuff where those are still insecurities that I think about often. Um, even little moments of like, oh, am I, do I have like internalized misogyny or internalized, um, I, what's, I don't even know what the term is to say like against facial hair, <laughs> but I don't know. Like when I got I started getting laser hair removal on my face and I was like, wow, my face just feels clearer. And I like how I look more. And then it was this feeling of shame, like, oh my gosh, but that was my, that was like how I came out of the womb. This is what I look like naturally. And all of this sort of guilt that comes along with that, um, like changing your appearance, but I have been getting my um, like face threaded or waxed since I was like 11 or 12 years old. Um, so just very central to my identity in a weird way. Um, but yeah, I think there's different aspects of beauty and self-image that I've grappled with in different points of my life. Um, but a lot of that does come from being in a very South Asian space that I haven't had to deal with it too much. Um, I was talking to one of my friends at UCLA who grew up in a very predominantly white neighborhood and she had a drastically different experience than I did because she was also a ballet dancer and um, grew up with a lot of smaller white girls who didn't have as much um, body hair or facial hair. And I think it's important to acknowledge that too. Like obviously everyone will have a different experience based on what media they consume also. and um, what their parents and friends and everyone around them also says about body and bodies and beauty and all of that. So again, I think it depends a lot, but I've, I've been very privileged uh, in the sense that like, I know colorism is a huge, huge problem. Um, but I, I personally have not seen it a lot in, in my own life. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I didn't realize body hair was like a thing until it was brought to my attention. Um, I just like didn't notice it until like seventh or eighth grade. When it's your body. You're not thinking about it like that. It's the like, same thing with like hip dips. Like I never even understood that was oh my a thing. God. Till people named it like sometimes if we just don't tell women what's wrong with their bodies they will never figure like they will never go there their mind will not go there you're no, like seriously. what is a love handle it sounds like a cute thing like <laughs> it sounds I, adorable i don't I know mean, I, I still don't know what they are like also muffin top like yeah. excuse like, me strawberry <laughs> legs i saw cute. your i saw your tiktok strawberry recently legs? about strawberry legs mall and i was have like, you heard oh about this stuff now i i have never see that's the thing but now i 
feel the need to Google it and have a new security. <laughs> I don't know. It's you so are not odd. even going to talk about that on here because I, I think people don't realize what's wrong with them till we tell them. So why are we yeah. telling them? And exactly. they, I hate the way I even phrase it, like not realize what's wrong with them, but they don't think about things because actually nothing is wrong with us. Yeah. And it's just all these companies trying to market us new exfoliators, which yeah. don't ever work. <laughs> exactly. Boo yeah. capitalism. Like it's Boo. always just to sell something. Boo. It really is. It all stems from capitalism, but that could be a whole other podcast. A whole new thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I didn't know that like I didn't realize I had body hair and I didn't realize it was like a problem. I'm saying that in quotes until it was brought to my attention, like by hey, a middle school boy, probably. Also. No, it was actually my parents. Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. See, I mean, that's the thing also. It's like all of our experiences vary so differently. Yeah. And so like it was it was like I would wear shorts all the time. And then it was like my I think it was my dad that brought it up and was like, hey, you should ask your mom if like you can go and start getting waxed now. And I was just like, and then, it, and then I was like, oh my God, I'm never wearing shorts again. And then oh I went and got waxed for the first time. And I bought like a bunch of skirts and shorts afterwards. And I was like, wow, like this, this the life that I've like been missing. Listen, like a good wax, it feels great, but like do it because you want to and not because someone's telling you to. But the same thing with eyebrows. I know so many of my friends that like would get them done regularly. And I have a lot of like, I'm a Punjabi woman that has like dark, coarse hair. So it wasn't like I didn't, these weren't, again, I, I hate it because I can't think of another word besides issues, but they're not issues, right? But I didn't think to get them done until it was brought to my attention that I could in like sophomore year of high school. So until sophomore year of high school, like I didn't do any of this stuff. Um, but speaking of like hair, right? Like I grew up, I was raised sick. And so I wrote about this. Um, I actually don't think I've talked about it on the pod, Supna, but like I wrote about it for an article for Brown Girl Mag, um, about like my relationship with my hair as a woman who was raised sick. And so growing up, I like didn't cut my hair. And it's partly it like part of it is like, you know, God gave you this hair, like you shouldn't cut it. And I remember while I was growing up, I was like, I knew, yeah, there were a bunch of like other Punjabi girls, but like having like an oiled braid, like it just wasn't cute. Right. And so I'd go on Pinterest and like, I remember all of middle school, just like going on Pinterest and dreaming of the day that I could like dye my hair blonde or blue or like cut it and get bangs. And it wasn't until like, and then I cut my hair in sophomore year for my own reasons, but that was the first time I felt pretty. Like when I had my eyebrows done, my contacts, I didn't have glasses anymore. I had finally gotten rid of my glasses tan and I'd cut my hair. It was the first time someone at school told me they thought I was pretty And it was the first time I then internalized that I was pretty. And that makes me so sad because my religion was such a big part of my life for so long. And I then internalized this like, just like beauty standards to make myself think that I wasn't pretty. And then I think my relationship with beauty and like being Desi is also, you know, like being Punjabi, something that 
I don't know, like, I feel like this is something that Punjabi people experience. And if they don't, then it's like my experience as a Punjabi woman. But like Punjabis are known for like eating, right? You come to their house, like you are not leaving a Punjabi person's house without like getting asked if you want snacks 50 times. So like that was part of the way that I ate. Genetics wise, I am not a skinny, thin woman. I'm like bigger built. I'm um, and my sister and I have different genetics as well. And so I remember like growing up, my family told me like my sister is like on the thinner side, like longer legs, like and I was more on the um, like just not not that not like thin, skinny, you know, um, like supermodel look. But I remember one time at a party, my uncle coming up to or like some uncle, right? Like my sister and I are six years apart. I was 12. So she was six. Right. And some uncle was like, yeah, your sister's going to be a supermodel one day. And I'm like, okay, well, what about me? Also yeah. about a six-year-old. There's, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. But... <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I, you lost me like a minute ago. I was still thinking about the uncle yeah. coming up to like. First of all, they shouldn't even be talking about the way you look. At, yeah, no, at, yeah. that young, it just should not be allowed. That should be illegal. I don't like Seriously. that. Sorry, continue. No, <laughs> but like, no, yeah. But I think that's my experience with like beauty in the Daisy community is other people commenting on how I look and that being the reason for my insecurities and not because I, I like, and I have internal insecurities. It's just like so many people in the Daisy community have like said so many things to me over the years that I'm like, oh my God, like, why would I not hate myself? Or why would I not hate the way I look? Or why would I not want to change X, Y, and Z? Um, and that's kind of like my experience with that. Can I ask you what your relationship with the community overall is or with your family and like this like low-kyakuhenge mindset for people listening? It's like when people are like, what, what's everyone else going to think? Like, yeah, how are you going to be perceived? There's so much weight on that in our communities and like have, has that affected either of you? I know my parents try to be really good about that, which is nice. So I'm very much a I don't care what my community thinks anymore person. Um, and I try to embody that in like everything I do. Um, but that's also because, you know, like I had my community say a ton of horrible things to me over the years, like whether it's just like and the comments about the weight, the comments about the hair, like that's all it's small in the larger scheme of things because these were normal things that you could say to people, right? It was normal and it still is normal for you to go to someone's house and some auntie be like, oh, you look like you've lost a lot of weight or you look really like healthy and healthy, meaning like you've put on a lot of weight and that just being commonplace, right? And so that was just so normalized. But then I like, I've been very public about a lot of things in my life that most South Asian parents would not want their kids to be public about, um, particularly like growing up in a domestic, uh, like in a home of domestic abuse, like um, having an abusive father, having depression, being suicidal, experience, like being on antidepressants, being in therapy, all of that. I've been very, very public about that as a South Asian woman. 
and received a lot of backlash for that as well. And so as a result of all of that, like my mom, my sister and I are like very much we don't care what anybody else thinks because it clearly is not helpful. If I'm coming out and telling you about all the horrible things that happened to me in an effort to make sure it doesn't happen to other people and I'm talking about what helped me and your only response as a community is like, why would you say that out loud? Why would you tell other people? You clearly have no interest or care about my well-being or the well-being of the people that I love. So I don't care about what you think. And I understand that like, I am very lucky to have a mom that got on the same page as me for that. And it is the only reason that she like that I am where I am today because she got on the same page as me. So I know that me being able to say all these things is something that I'm very like grateful for. And I I don't expect other people in our community to do it on the same scale that I did it on because it's, it can be dangerous in some ways. Right. Or you like, you can lose family ties or just like, there's a bunch of different things that can come up. I'm just of the mindset that like, if I can say these things so that other people don't have to and have to deal with the backlash, I'm fine with that. It's just the look at Kenge, like the, what will people say mindset in no way, shape or form helps anybody. No, it just upholds all the stigma about everything that should be talked about. I first want to acknowledge like what Sonia was sharing. One of the many, many reasons why I love Sonia so much. She is just so unabashedly herself and bold and outspoken. And our po- our podcast is called Loud Mud Ledkeys for a reason. Like doing the, it is very hard to kind of go against the grain and to voice your truth and voice your story knowing that a lot of people are saying things without fully knowing you. Um, And I think that that's why the whole, um, that whole mindset of like, what will other people think is just so hard to deal with. And the second thing I wanted to say is like, I will be the first to acknowledge that I am such a work in progress in this area because ask Sonia, like our podcast is called Loud Month Led Keys. We're all about talking about what is stigmatized and there have been episodes we've had to archive or a lot of self-censorship that I do on the podcast um, just because there are things that I either I'm not ready to talk about or two, like just don't want to because I'm like, oh, well, what will people think? And so much of that is um, ingrained and because I've just also seen a lot of other people talk about other people. So when you are in a group conversation and you see your friends or your peers talk about other third party individuals, it automatically feels like it's an unsafe space. And I feel like that's kind of why I've shied away from certain topics or certain um, like anecdotes. Um, So I, I think it's a work in progress for sure. And it definitely affects the way that you show up to spaces and um, like your relationships with others. Um, But yeah, just something I wanted to acknowledge there. It's Malvika here in post-production, and I am so sorry to interrupt your listening of the conversation, but this is the end of part one of our conversation. And if you want to hear more, we talk therapy and dating in part two. So head on over there. Thank you. Bye-bye.
And that's a wrap. Thank you guys for hanging out with me and listening to this week's episode. If you want more, follow at Show Me How Good It Gets podcast. I read all the DMs I get on there. And then my personal Instagram account is at MalvikaBot and my TikTok is at MalTalks. If you're listening on Spotify, please leave us a rating, preferably a five-star rating. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I hope you can write us a fun little review and write us there as well. Once again, thank you guys for hanging out. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.